All right. Has anybody here ever wondered why God um, holds back His wrath? You ever wondered why, with all the things that are going on in this world today, that God doesn't just mow everybody down, the wicked? Why does He put up with the wicked? And on, you know, you can look at, at every side, and people are sinning. People are sinning with a high hand. And God's law is trampled underfoot, and God Himself is openly despised by many people. And I think it's truly amazing that He doesn't instantly strike down the evil of our day. They brazenly defy our God, our great God. Why doesn't He just suddenly just cut them off just like that? Where there are times in the Old Testament, God did that. And he opened like the earth up like a mouth and it swallowed up Dathan and Abiram. And then you think of Ananias and Sapphira when they lied to the Holy Spirit and He took them out just like that. And what about apostate Christendom? It seems like it's getting away with everything with its false teaching. Leading literally thousands, thousands and thousands and millions of people uh, using the name of Christ into blasphemy. Why doesn't the righteous wrath of heaven come down, make an end of all the abominations that are happening here? We're seeing it, aren't we? We're experiencing it. There's probably a lot of answers, but I think one answer really helps us out with that. Because God bears with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath that are made for destruction, as it says in Romans chapter 9. And with all that that is going on in the world, how much more difficult it is for the Christian to live in this world. How does the Christian keep on going? I think that's where James is going to help us. And of course, what's the answer to that? Be patient. That's how we we keep on going. Patience is something uh, that we all know that we need, or we need more of, we might say. Uh, Perhaps some of us here have prayed for patience. And we say, be careful what you pray for. (laughs) I think I've heard that from some of you guys. And of course... uh, I, I have to go back to Penny's, and it goes, it goes, this goes back on maybe close to 30 years ago. And she said, yeah, she prayed for patience. She's got five boys. <laughs> we learn, and, and that's really, that's true, because we, we learn patience. If everything goes smoothly, everything's just fine, we don't really need patience, because things are going along okay. But... It's usually through trials, through afflictions, through difficulties, tribulation. That's how we learn patience. In verses 7 through 11, which is our text today in James uh, chapter 5, James is instructing the suffering poor on what kind of attitude they're supposed to have when they're taken advantage of, when they're oppressed. They needed patience. Uh, it was a time of persecution. You have Jewish Christians who were spread out all over the world at that time. And that's who he's writing to. And he had already mentioned in verse 6, and of course the first six verses was dealing with the rich and uh, how James come down on them. And then by the time you get to verse 6, we see that the rich were oppressing the poor and they uh, actually were taking the poor to court and they were condemning them now it said in verse 6 they were putting to death the righteous now there's no doubt that that probably happened and whether that always meant um, murdering killing uh, it can mean or that they were just condemned in court by these oppressive rich people Uh, James is really concerned he's concerned about how the people who are oppressed how they might wrongly respond to all the things that is going on with their lives. Uh, If you have trials and tribulations, you have persecution. Definitely persecution was going on heavy at this time. How were they going to 
respond to it. And human beings have a tendency sometimes to lose their patience. <laughs> None of us have ever done that, I'm sure. <laughs> never had it. <laughs> never had it to lose. <laughs> I dare say that we're not in quite the predicament that they were at that time that the believers were facing. Certainly there are millions who are in the world today who are facing that across the globe. But we do face a constant barrage of situations in our life that test our Christianity. Right? With every work of God's trying providence in our lives, He provides what we need to live. Every moment He provides everything pertaining to life and godliness. And so James is going to help us see how we are to live as redeemed people in a world that is not redeemed, that is so sinful and wicked. And you say, how can we just keep on living in this filth? Whatever the circumstances that come upon us, we can do it. So one of the most important lessons to learn as a Christian is to respond rightly when we have been wronged. Now that's a hard thing to do, but you can count on it. You're going to be wronged. Right? You will be wronged. Some difficult trials are going to hit you broadside. They're going to come from the blind side. You're not even going to know where it came from. Even There are going to be people who can falsely accuse you at work. And you can even lose your job. Get fired. And the person who lied about you gets promoted. And they get all the glory out of it all. Or a family member might betray you and spread vicious gossip about you to other family members or uh, people in a church can disappoint you. You're shocked, you're angered, you're confused, and you wonder if someone like that fails me, you know, what, what can I trust in? Can I trust in anyone? And James is showing us that you respond rightly when you're wronged. Because he starts off in verse 7, as we'll be reading here very shortly. Therefore, therefore, be patient. So you'll never guess what we're talking about today, right? We pretty well covered that um, idea. But if you as a Christian have been wrongly treated, be patient. Be patient. The Lord will return soon. He'll make it right. He is the righteous judge. And He will vindicate you. But at the same time, be careful because He will judge you too if you complain about it and you continue on. And that's the idea of uh, verses 7 through 9. And so, why don't we grab our Bibles if you haven't gotten to them already. Turn to James 5. Open it up to verse 7. Let's stand. Let's read. Pick up and read. What did Augustine say? Or what was told to him, you know, as the kids were playing? Pick up and read. Well, this is what God has for us today. He always has a message for us, doesn't He? Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. (coughs) Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, a judge is standing right at the door. Father, we thank You for James' words that have been written down as he is inspired by Your Holy Spirit. This is really from You. Help us to understand something here that's really very understandable. We know about patience. But help us to really put it into our lives at times when it seems impossible. Help us to draw upon this Scripture here to be able to use it in our lives. Because the power of Your Spirit is how we're able to do it. Lord, help us to focus on the person of Christ here this morning. Christ is everything. We stand in Christ alone. So when we're commanded 
We know it's because it comes from the power of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, therefore be patient, brethren. Brethren, brothers, sisters, church. So I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. And then I will tell you. And then I'll tell you what I told you. <laughs> then I'll review. <coughs> it might be uh, college professors that do that. That's a good teaching tool. That's really what James is doing here. He says, "Be patient." He commands that. Gives an illustration, or he gives actually a motivation, and then gives an illustration. Comes back and says, "Be patient again," and he gives an illustration. He gives, matter of fact, the motivation. Comes back and says the same thing. Says, don't complain. Keeps giving commands. We have commands all over the place. But these commands are something. He who loves me will obey my commands, right? And so we have a bunch of commands right here. Right here. But, we have the power to be able to do these commands now as Christians. And to do them joyfully. So, um, He will be giving us uh, these illustrations and and as He does, Lord, give me patience right now. (laughs) I just blew it, didn't I? (laughs) Lord, give me patience. I don't need the patience when things are going good. I need the patience when things are going bad. I can't practice patience when things are going well. It's already there. Uh, you know, there's no crash course on patience. You can't go to any seminar, even hear a message on patience. <coughs> you have to cultivate it. It's it's fruit of the Spirit. And you have to cultivate that fruit. Uh, the Greek word, it's a compound word. Long-tempered. Macrothumio. We've used this word many times. Um we often have to try to practice this thing when we're out on the road. You ever notice there's always somebody who loves to cut in front of you. <laughs> and um, it's hard to be patient sometimes when those kind of things happen. What right does he have to do that? Right? Sometimes it's going to involve self-restraint. Sometimes we like to retaliate a wrong. But I want to tell you, patience is a Christian virtue. It's distinctly a Christian virtue. The Greeks did not have patience as a virtue. Matter of fact, they didn't tolerate it whenever one insulted them or injured them in some way. The Greeks didn't have the idea of this kind of patience. Yeah, I'm sure it was there in some sense, but they really wanted to take vengeance. That was a mark of a man that he would get back at somebody that maybe wronged him. And, of course, I think that is our nature, the old man, uh, I guess, or the, the old style person, flesh, actually, uh, wants to retaliate. But the new man simply refuses to retaliate. Now there's another word for patience. Sometimes we see the word hupomone. Two words there. Under is hupo. Mone is to, to hear. To hear under. Right? Or, or to, to endure. I mean, to go under, that's, that's, that's the idea. I said here, but it means to um, be able to go through circumstances, to endure. That's the idea of hupomone, uh, to endure circumstances. Now, the word macrothumio is very much related, but it's talking about enduring what? Not circumstances, but... People, which are trials. <laughs> That's right. So, 
you know, the circumstances, the trials, all of those. And these two words are so related, and you'll see them working back and forth. They're very close. But we're talking about having a long fuse whenever people give you difficulty. And, of course, in our context here, there were people really causing problems to these brothers here that James is speaking about. Now, patiently endure to long temper. It's not short-tempered. It's not hastily retaliating. Um, You see this word in 1 Corinthians 13. When you think of 1 Corinthians 13, what one word do you think of? Love. Do you know what the very first word is there related to love? Love is patient. Starts off with that love is patient, love is kind. Oh, it's beautiful. Great poetry, right? You think of the weddings and such, but how flowery it is. But uh, it's a quality that describes love. So what does it mean? If what, At the moment you're not patient, what are you? You're not loving, are you? If you are not patient, you're not loving. And uh, boy, that's rather convicting. Uh, fruit of the Holy Spirit, but fruit takes time. It takes effort to cultivate. Now what we want to do is look at God. Let's gaze at this attribute of God. Patience. Let's look at the nature of God. This is really incredible when we start looking at the Old and New Testament about the nature of God and His patience. Second Peter 3.15 mentioned something about this. It's talking about he is patient. I mean, that is who he is. He is. He is love. He is patient. He's patient. And it says in verse 15, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Now, think of the patience that He had and has for you to save beings who were His enemies and to go as long as He did with us. He could have taken us even before we were born. But as regarding this patience, Look at that as far as salvation is concerned. What an attribute. So let's gaze. Let's just gaze. If God were not patient, and just think about that for a moment, He would have wiped every sinner off the face of the earth just like that. The moment sin happened, He could have obliterated mankind and we'd never ever been here. Adam and Eve, boom, you're gone. That's it. I've had enough. And He had every right. It certainly wasn't his plan, and so and, and his plan is perfect, so it couldn't have happened that way. <laughs> because God is patient. Well, be thanking God for this major attribute. And you don't think of this as a major attribute. Usually when you think of God, you think of his you think of his love, you think of his mercy, you think of his grace, or when we did boy, this this is this morning earlier, he's immense, he's eternal, he's incomprehensible, almighty, infinite, holy, wise. He's free, immutable. All of those. You just keep going on and on and on. You think about those as attributes. And then you think about patience. Well, yeah, yeah, it's part of it. It's as major as any other attribute. Matter of fact, it takes great power for God to use patience. You ever thought about that? Uh, It's a divine perfection. When you think of wisdom and power and holiness... Start thinking and meditating on the patience of God. Think of the power of control which God exercises over Himself. He could utilize His wrath at any moment. But yet He has power not over not only control over us, but it's His power over Himself to keep from doing that. because This patience is Him. He bears with the wicked. He forbears what they do. What a glorious grace this is. 
to shine forth, and it shines forth on every page of this book. And when you see the sin of mankind, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. I think Stephen Charnock, who wrote a couple of volumes on the attributes of God, quite lengthy, as a matter of fact, uh, said, a prince that can bridle his passions is a king over himself as well as over his subjects. God is slow to anger because He's great in power. He has no less power over Himself than over His creatures. You know, we are saved from God. We're saved from death and saved from sin and Satan and hell, Hades and all that. We're saved from that. And that's true. But we're saved from God because He can wipe us all out. I love this attribute, patience. Amen. <laughs> Boy, God used it perfectly on us, didn't He? And He always has. He can't use it less than perfect. What an excellency in divine character when we look at the patience of God. Be thinking on who God is throughout the week. You say, I don't know what to pray about. Start thinking about some of those attributes of God. Hang on to your bulletin. If you want to, if you want to pray a prayer, just take two or three of those attributes and start praying those attributes. Saying those to God and meditating on what those really mean. The infinite majesty of this great God. I'm in awe. Are you guys in awe today of this God? He, he's present with us. And, and, and He's patient with us. Long-suffering is His power of self-restraint. Um, in Nahum... Or no, no. I had one of that. I'm going to do Numbers. Numbers 14, 17. And, and this is Moses, the mediator. He's a type of Christ. He comes pleading. The people have sinned against the Holy God. Moses comes in. He is the priest. You know, he is the mediator. He's a type of Christ. And he says in Numbers fourteen seventeen, I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering. His power... Did you see that? Let the power of my Lord be great as thou hast spoken, saying the Lord is long-suffering. That's a powerful thing to be as long-suffering as He is. Self-restrained perfectly. 9.22 of Romans says, What if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long-suffering? The vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Were God to immediately break those reprobate vessels immediately just like that? And He could. Sometimes He does, but He could break them into pieces. You notice that evil just kind of keeps on going on. And if He could stop it there. But His power of self-control would not so much appear as He lets things go for a long time because He's patient. He bears with the wickedness. He forbears punishment so long with what's going on in this nation, what's happening happening politically, socially, right before our eyes. And He has a power of self-control. You know what He's doing? He is gloriously demonstrating His patience when this stuff keeps on going on. And some of those people get into power and rule this nation. We want to be praying that God would be bringing in somebody that could help lead our nation and would be coming from a biblical aspect. You want to pray for that. You want to pray that these people will become Christians. So, and I want to take just a moment because I'll forget otherwise. Tuesday, you have the opportunity 
to help make a decision. You can vote. We still have that. And uh, for these kind of even primaries, I mean, all that's going on, I think it it can be important. So think about that Tuesday. You get that opportunity to, to do that. The patience of God. Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, Because (coughs) sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. So they will continue to do that if something is not carried out. Sometimes God in His judgment lets it go. Um, The God of patience. Romans 15.5 says, One of the divine titles Patience is one of his perfections. So he gets to glorious show that even when there is sin. Isn't that amazing? He can put on his grace display whenever there is sin. It's like having a dark velvet background and then something comes up in front of that background that just shines. The light shines whenever there is against that darkness. I'm not saying this is a good thing to have darkness. Don't get me wrong. But God uses it. Isn't that amazing what He can do when there is evil? He works all things together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So when we take a glimpse of who God is, we ought to be amazed at this patience because we know how it worked on us. Let's go back to the Old Testament. You look at the antediluvians. You look at the people before the flood. Mankind was universally degenerate. God called them a wicked generation. They were evil. Flesh had corrupted its ways. And you saw how sin just kept multiplying. He didn't destroy them. He forewarned them. And He used the preacher, Noah, to preach for how long? 120 years. That's longer than any of us will ever live here in this life, right? He waited and waited. And the preacher of righteousness preaches truth. And we know that the Gentiles worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator. Romans 1 talks about that. They did the vilest abominations contrary to the very dictates of God. And He didn't draw His sword immediately and say, okay, that's ten years. That's enough. I can't handle this anymore. And He kept on going another 110 years. What kind of patience is that? God is really patient. Instead of his drawing his sword for exterminating them, he suffered that all nations that would walk in their own ways. And Acts 14 says he gave them rain from heaven and fruitful seasons. Acts 14, 16, and 17. He is a giving God. Uh, that is called common grace. There's a saving grace. Don't get those two mixed up. There's a saving grace that saves us. There is a common grace where God extends and gives a life to people who don't deserve it. Nobody deserves it. Nobody deserves salvation for certain. God's patience was exercised and manifested toward His nation, Israel. He suffered their manners for 40 years in the wilderness. It's not 120 years, but it's 40 years in the wilderness. Acts 13.18 talks about that. They turned to idolatry. He didn't destroy them. He didn't utterly destroy them. He spared them many years before He brought on judgment. And then when they're in the promised land and through the judges and then the kings, you have the prophets. Oh, hundreds of years. He keeps forewarning them what's going to happen. And then later on, he has to bring Babylon. And they were carried down into Babylon. But then, after 70 years, he lets them come back to their land and sets them up. Christ comes on the scene. Rebellion reached its ultimate climax, crucifying the Lord of the universe. 
The Son of Man. Mankind did that. We did that. Our sin did it. But actually, Roman citizens did it. The Jews did it. It's all the world. They crucified the Son. You know what? God didn't bring immediate punishment on the nation of Israel at that time. Even though there was a, a judgment made, yet it shows that judgment 40 years later, 70 A.D. His own received Him not. Boy, that is patience. It says in Acts 13.46 about this, Speaking of judgment there, unworthy of everlasting life. How wondrous is God's patience. Does that make you marvel and wonder? I've been patient sometimes before, you know. Actually for quite a few moments. <laughs> maybe maybe a few days, maybe even a few years. But we're we're talking here, you know, decades. We're we're, we're talking hundreds of years, we're talking even thousands of years. Why doesn't he just open up the ground and swallow them up, right? Matter of fact, sometimes that does happen. <laughs> there have been sinkholes. It's went, wow, <laughs> little picture there, huh? What's going on? On every side, people are sinning with a high hand. God, one reason why God suffers the flesh to remain in the believer. Uh, we've been talking about unbelievers. What about the believer? Well, that he would exhibit his long suffering to usward. You know, he hasn't come back yet. Second Peter three talks about that. He's delaying. Why is he delaying? Because there are people yet to be saved. So we don't want him to come back before the people that were to be saved, and they don't get saved because he came back too early. You want him to come at the perfect time. In the meantime, there's nothing wrong with saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. <laughs> it's going to be in His timing. We know that. Boy, we look to that, don't we? And that's really what James is pointing at, and that's what's going to get us into the next statement here. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Okay, now we get to number two, the motivation. We get the command... The command is be patient. We just saw the how God is the one who has it. And He gives it to us. We live in this life having all sorts of battles. But we live in this life also knowing that Christ is going to come back. In the light of the second coming... We can live this life out. That is our greatest motivation. And you will see it completely, thoroughly throughout the Bible. Especially in the New Testament. I think it's mentioned something like 300 times. I think every 13th verse will be about the second coming of Christ. I'm not kidding you. Aren't you thankful for that? Because you know, okay, I'm going through some pretty hard times, but you know what? He's coming back. Hey, I'm going through some pretty good times. Thank you, Lord. But there's something much better than this. In the meantime, I'll use what you give me. Uh, May I suggest to you, the persecuted church looks forward to the return of Christ even more than a church that's not persecuted. It really anticipates that second coming. The church that is liberal doesn't even really preach a second coming and probably don't even believe in it. Not a literal coming of Christ. How could you? Why would you even bother? You know? Well, the word coming there is parousia. Until the coming of the Lord. The parousia. So it is that Jesus comes and is present. The idea is that He comes in a bodily presence and He's here with you. It's an arrival. We're looking forward to the arrival of Jesus Christ. He's going to come in in a real body. Not just spiritually. Really coming in a body. 
And that's the idea of the word here. One who is coming to give to us what we're waiting for. Himself. We'll receive His presence. Boy, that's something to look forward to. That's the arrival. We're looking for that always. I don't think it ever escapes me. Not a day goes by as I think about that some way that He's going to be coming back. What a motivation. It's a long obedience that points to the same direction. It's the goal. It's the purpose. It's the aim. It's the coming of Christ. It doesn't end right here. It's going to something that is glorious. Are you in awe of the glorious appearing of Christ? We are to look and see Him today, right now. As Jonathan Edwards talked about so much, to see Him. Oh, to see Christ. When you look in the Word, you see Christ. One day we'll see Him as He is. And we turn to 1 John 3. 3. This really gets me going. This 1 John 3. 3. 3 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God. Right here, right now, we're children of God. And it's not appeared as yet what we will be. We have an idea. We know, we know this that when He appears, when He makes that presence, we will be like Him. Because we will see Him with our glorious eyes just as He is. You know, people are looking for excitements from one day to the next, you know, and just just to get excited. You love to tell people about new things that you're you know, oh wait, you haven't heard this one yet. You know, and, oh, oh, somebody's going to outdo them. You know, and they've always got a contest. You know, you you haven't seen that. You haven't seen nothing yet. You know, and that's things in this world. The glory of Jesus Christ will be the biggest event that mankind has ever experienced, and there is nothing like it. And I can't imagine what it is. My physical eyes cannot do that. It'll take glorious eyes to see Him as He is and to know we'll be like Him. And He says, And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. When you think on that, boy, it starts putting things into perspective in our lives, doesn't it? Everything else looks minuscule. When you think about that grand glory of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.18 Is this a motivation? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Revealed is like taking a curtain back and seeing the very ultimate glory of God. It'll be revealed to us. Everything that's going on in this life, it's nothing compared to that great glory. Can't wait. Well, better because I've got to use patience. <laughs> I'm getting excited just talking about it. Don't you love that verse? Yeah, while we're here, there's sufferings. Okay, it can happen. It's not worthy to be compared with the glory that's coming. It's revealed to us. Re- revealed revelation. The book of Revelation is about the revealing. Jesus Christ. The unveiling. That's what it is. Apocalypsis. The apocalypse, apocalypsis, is really the unveiling of Christ. He showed a little glimpse on the Mount of Transfiguration to Peter, James, and John. That they didn't see it all. They saw it with fleshly eyes, but they saw something that was truly amazing then that they just like Peter said, Hey, let's just camp out right here. This is good enough. No, you got to go down the mountain. And you got to live down there now. you got to take this news to everybody. You saw it, you take it to them. Well, 2 Corinthians 4.17 is a favorite verse of ours. 
Uh, Verse 16 is good. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Brothers, don't lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Are you encouraged? Here we go. For momentary, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. By the way, glory sometimes means weight in the old... It's weighty. How do you define glory? We haven't really seen glory. Well, it's weighty. It's it's immense. It's incredible. It's like a double use of the word there, glory. Eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Oh, I wish I could show some kind of picture of it. Zach, can you get a picture of glory? It's not there. We'll have to wait. See what this is. You know, they can make a movie about it. Movie can be really good, but it's still far short. Mankind can't come up with this. What it really is? Oh my! This is momentary light affliction. What are you saying? Well, Paul has already said we were at the point of death. Paul couldn't even understand why he's even living. He would probably have rather gone on. But this chapter, I mean, I mean, this whole book of Second Corinthians, and he's being challenged about his apostleship, and man, he was persecuted by his own kind, and and then he almost died, and he says, nothing. It's momentary. It's a light affliction. We haven't even seen all the things that he went through, Paul. Far beyond comparison. What do you do? In the life now, well, verse 18 says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. We, we look at the things that are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. It's all physical things. And, and we'll see physical things, but these things will pass away. But the things which are not seen, the heavenly things, are eternal everything will be glorious he makes everything glorious (laughs) even right now we can see that in a sense but it's all tainted sin the illustrations found in verse 7 back to our James No, yeah, we're still in verse 7. You know what? I think that's as far as we're going to get here today. This is all good, right? Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. That's the motivation, the prusia. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil. Being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. And he uses the illustration of a farmer. Very simple. This is not an allegory. This is real. This is true. This happens all the time. James James um, uses illustrations. Have you noticed that? He makes a statement, makes a command, and then he comes forth and gives a picture that they can all identify with. And most of them were farmers at that time. They understood this very well. Today, most of us are not farmers. But farmers can really appreciate this. They plant, and then they wait. They look expectantly on really something that's going to happen. It's supposed to happen. But they're looking on someone outside themselves to give what those plants need while they wait. The harvest, frankly, depends on the providence of God. He's going to provide what the plants need. He's going to give the right components to the crop. <coughs> the farmer takes some of the grain that he stored up for food, or a seed, he casts it into the ground, it actually dies there, and then he waits, he hopes, he prays for it to sprout, to produce a crop. And, and within the, in the same time, he doesn't sit around doing nothing. The farmer then is... Uh, he, you know, of course, he fertilizes, he can irrigate, he can prepare his barns for the harvest. 
He's to be doing all these kinds of duties at the same time. But it's all of you to the harvest. That's where it's all going for it. Because if you don't have a harvest, then why are you doing it, right? No farmer will do this. He goes out, sows his seed, and then next week he goes out there and says, Huh, I don't see any growth. This should be ready. I was ready for my food, and, and here it is. You know, I'm supposed to pick this and go sell it. You know, this is my livelihood. No farmer ever does that. Does that? And we know that um, somebody could say, "Well, I'm just going to give up farming then, because I don't want to wait. You know, it's, it's too long." Well, that would be a, a foolish farmer, right? You know, why, why is he even doing it, right? Farming is a slow process. I look back there at Stan. Would you say it's kind of a slow process? You wait. <laughs> and you wait. And you wait. Sometimes you want, is this going to happen? <laughs> I mean, you're talking about an illustration of somebody that really has to have faith and that everything comes together for this to happen. It's a, it's a long process. God sends the proper rain, the proper sun, and it eventually yields a harvest. Now, from year to year, it can be different. But uh, I think pastors see successful churches. And when I say successful, that word really might need to be defined. We're talking about where there's just they're full of hundreds and hundreds of people, thousands of people. They grow by phenomenal rates. And some pastors think they're not successful because their churches aren't having the same kind of results. Yeah. It could be good that that is going big, and or it could be not so good. Genuine spiritual fruit is not a quick process. It is a marathon. Grow deep. The farmer waits for the precious produce. Precious means valuable. He depends on this for his existence. If that's all that he does, that's his living. Even if it's some of what he does, he's really counting on this. This is precious. And it seems like as this farmer waits here in this text he could be almost fasting and waiting for that crop to come maybe he's getting hungry you know he's running out of food and it's about that time it's a very precious fruit of the earth to him he has long patience you want to see an example of somebody who has patience look at a farmer and so go back and shake the hands uh, of our farmers, go back to Stan and say, I'm amazed at your patience. Because <laughs> it does take a long time. What about the early and the latter rains here? And, and we'll, we'll have to close it. We're only going to get one verse today, aren't we? Um, <laughs> patience. God says, patient. You're getting one verse, Dennis. That's all you're getting. Well, we... With the power of God, I hope that's what it is. A precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. And I'll just explain that. In Palestine or Israel or whatever, the rain softens up the ground so that you can plant it and then the later rains come. You say, well, when is the. I, I used to think the early rains would be in the spring, and then the later rains would be in the fall. We're talking about in Israel, the early rains are in the fall, like October, November. And what they would do is they would depend upon these rains as it would make the ground soft. It's been hardened all summer long, and now it makes the ground soft. God has to provide those rains for this to happen. So all a farmer can do is do his part and then wait. And he's actually waiting on God, whether he knows that or not sometimes, or think about it. You say, yo, I know where the rains come from. <laughs> the rains basically came twice, one in the fall and then one in the spring. 
That's the idea. When you get a sporadic kind of rain through December and January and even February, it doesn't amount to much. But then the latter rain comes in March and April. Right before their harvest. Right before their first fruits. So, yeah, it's somewhere around Passover time. We're in March now, aren't we? They have to wait. Wait. Patient. Let's apply this analogy. We'll close. Galatians 6 9 says, And let us not be weary in well doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. We'll reap. Just like the farmer who works and works, works hard, and then he waits for growth. A Christian strives for godliness and holiness. He waits for spiritual growth and blessings. He waits for patience to be conformed in his life. The final results of spiritual growth may be certain. But they're not instant. It takes a while. And as far as this Christian life is concerned, we'll wait until the glorious coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Be encouraged. Father, thank You for Your truth. Your Word is spoken. You are the Speaker. I'm not. You only work through a teeny voice. Maybe that it would go to our hearts, our lives. That it would help us not only know, it explains to us what's going on in life. This is just a momentary time that we are here. You're giving us growth. We're being conformed to the very image of Christ, even now. But one day, the harvest will happen. And the glorious bodies that you've prepared will be given to this soul that's eternal. And we look to that. Thank you for the encouragement. In Titus, you call it the blessed hope. Thank you for the illustration as you've given the command. And thank you for that motivation. In Jesus' name, Amen.